Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs, is the turnaround the Washington Wizards have had one of the best you've seen in the history of basketball in season? One of the best I've seen in sports in life. It's just uh, tremendous. I mean, we had Washington right off the bat when we started this season and like... I spent so much time shitting on Westbrook because he was just, it just didn't seem like he was meshing with anyone there. Like he was, you know, he's a great passer and like, he'll be a great passer no matter where he plays, but he was just being dumb a lot of the time. And I think he's worked a lot of those kinks out and he has just been tremendous to watch and like having Beal back now. I mean, they, I just, I want to see them play Brooklyn in the first round and have like an average score between the teams of like 135 a game because there's no reason why we can't get that. I mean, there's maybe like four good defensive players on those two rosters combined. Um, so I, I'm very impressed with what they've pulled around and, you know. There's a major drop-off in talent behind Beal and Westbrook, but those two guys alone have, have pretty much carried them to this point. Would it be the only series in the history of his career where James Harden would be the best defensive player on the, in the series? <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's an interesting question. Major, major Jeff Green disrespect, I would say. I, I think uh, it's either Harden or Jeff Green. And when Jeff Green's in the conversation, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> it's it's tough. Like, I, I want to see that series because, it, like, I again, like you said, 135 to, like, 134 games would be very common. I mean, it could go six games just because Russ and Beal are that good. Like, Russ, man, talk about a turnaround in season. Like, just this, basically how he's played – since February 1st, he's like basically the old Russ. And I wish, I just think Russ needed time to acclimate to his teammates. He needed time to, you know, basically take the reins for the team. Like, I think that's basically what happens with Russ now. And I think we're kind of discounting the fact that they didn't have a training camp this year. And I mean, Russ came off of last season hurt. So I think that there was a lot of factors coming into why Russ sucked. But I mean, the, the turnaround that they've had to get to the eighth seed, I mean, the Hornets falling off has a lot to do with that, but I, I'm really impressed with how they've played this year. Yeah, and and I think there was some – this this was last year, but the whole COVID thing. And, like, listen, I, I'm not going to be someone that's going to give a COVID excuse to everyone, like, because there are people that have had, you know, remnants of issues for months – and maybe even a year to this point after having COVID. But there's also a bunch of people that haven't. And I just see a lot of, like, every NBA player that has had COVID gets that excuse. Like, I've seen a lot of Jason Tatum with that, too. And, again, I don't know, maybe Jason Tatum. I know he said on on Woj's pod that he has had problems breathing and all that. Um, but 
to give that excuse to everyone, I think is a little bit not unfair, but it's a little bit like you're just assuming that they're still having problems and that's the reason they suck. I don't know. But I, I think I do think Russ may may have had some issues with that. Um, and again, it's something that a lot of people have had. It takes a while to recover from. And I know athletes have had heart issues with COVID, too. So that's obviously going to impact you when you're playing basketball and running a lot. <laughs> so it, it's either way, it's good to see him playing at this level. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of no excuse culture in sports. I would say that's probably one of the most like prevalent things in sports is like, okay, you know, whatever. But like when Jason, like, I think it's really revealing actually. And I, I think I actually, I give the players more credit when they say what they've been struggling with post COVID. Like Evan Fournier said it was like playing with a concussion. Yeah. Dealing with the COVID stuff. And he's just now bouncing back. And then Jason Tatum, obviously, you know, said he has to breathe with an inhaler. I mean, what he's doing this season in spite of that is incredible. He's at like 26 points a game. <laughs> he's, like all NBA material this year. I don't know if he's going to be on my all NBA team. I still haven't made my all NBA teams yet. Cause that's the hardest one, but I mean, it's, it's tough. Like, and I think Russ, I think a lot of his issues in the bubble were COVID related. I think a lot of his issues this year were just like, okay, fast turnaround to the season, no training camp. You know, I think he was being a little too deferential to be able to, I think a Russ team is at its best when, you know, Russ is like, okay, fuck you. Not fuck you, but like, I'm taking the controls. I'm going to set you up real good because that's what he does with KD. He did it with, you know, Paul George. I'm going to set you up real good. I'm going to make you look good, but I'm in, I'm in charge of the show. And I think that's when Russell Westbrook looks the best. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, again, he's just a guy that is an orchestrator. And this Washington team is a good fit for him because there's a fair amount of shooting on it. Um, and, you know, having Beal as a guy that, he, you know, Beal likes to create his own shot for sure, but he also is just a great shooter, and he's a guy that can be set up by Westbrook, and that was why I think him and Thomas Bryant were a good fit too, because Thomas Bryant is, like, I would love to sit down and think about this, but as far as off-ball, Thomas Bryant may be like a top 10 guy because a lot of the really good centers in the league are like, they create their own stuff. Um, you know, obviously Gobert is like a pick and roll type of guy, but, but Thomas Bryant is very versatile on offense. And that, that made the connection with Westbrook really strong and Westbrook's had to fight with, uh, with the Alex Lenz and Robin Lopez's of the world who are the complete opposite of Thomas Bryant offensively. So it's been uh, it's been fun to watch him, and uh, I'm I, I'm excited to watch this Washington team in the playoffs because I I think they're going to be just insane offensively. Oh yeah, and I think that there's a real chance they beat Boston for the seventh seed, and it, it's a credit to their season and how well they've played that they've earned that opportunity to be in that position against Boston. Um, I think we're going we're ready to go ahead and move on to our uh, stuff, but I I would like to, we should have been doing this before. But if you listen to this on Apple, if you could go ahead and like, uh, uh, rate, subscribe, and review, that would be awesome. Um, podcast reviews really help uh, people in the uh, Apple store. So if you do that, if you don't listen on Apple, if you could just follow on all the platforms, hit me up at Alex Burfour. If you, there's any platforms you would like to listen on that we aren't on. Like I said, we're uh, trying to expand our, our YouTube presence. This episode will be going up on YouTube. So um, make sure you check that out when we uh, put this up on YouTube. Follow us at The Reading Hook. And then uh, follow us at Alex Burfour and at by Dylan Hughes. Dylan doesn't, Dylan goes on there to tweet his disparate thoughts. They're all, they're all appreciated. So 
now that that's out of the way, let's get to the real matter at hand here. We're here today to discuss our all defensive teams. So Dylan, how hard was it for you to come up with the 10 guys for the all defense team today? Man, I did a lot of maneuvering. I'll say that. And this is something I said off the pod, maybe on the pod at one point that I am just not great at evaluating defenders. Like it's way easier to decide who's good offensively because we have all the stats, right? And, you know, you do need some eye test, but it's a lot easier to base arguments off stats. Defensively, like defensive stats are so tough because, you know, you got the steals and blocks and all that, but everything else is kind of like eye test. Even even on-off stats aren't really reliable. I mean, there was a, bit, a story that Matt Moore did on – Kawhi Leonard a few years back when he was still in San Antonio because I think his last year in San Antonio, he was actually the Spurs were worse with him on the floor than off the floor. And this whole story was basically about how the offenses, you know, isolated Kawhi basically as a defender. So he wouldn't have an impact on the game. And like, that's something you can do. That's something offenses can do is they'll attack the weak links and they'll make the, def- you know, the good defenders not really be involved in the action. So it can be tough to like determine just based on stats, like who's good and who's not. And that's why I think, you know, there's, there's pretty much every year, there's a group of guys you're always going to consider. But as far as like the fringe picks, it's, it can be tough to, to decide, you know, who, who's better than, than who basically and where they, whether they're going to go on the first team or the second team, because it's just a lot tougher, I think, to decide, you know, who's a good defender and how good are they compared to everyone else? Yeah, defensive stats are very flawed. I don't like them at all, if I'm being honest with you. I try not to, like, cleaning the glass has, you know, good defensive stats, but, like, at the same time, they're flawed too. Because you can't, there's no perfect defensive stat. And I think that's why, I think Dylan... I know you've said you don't like evaluating individual defenders, but I trust your judgment since we've watched all 30 teams. I think evaluating defense is more about like eye test and like just knowing what guys are supposed to do and knowing like where they're supposed to be. And I think that's, you know, I think we got that edge this year watching all 30 of the teams, you know, even though we barely watched at the end of the season, the Rockets, the Lakers and the, uh, the magic, like we just, you just learn at some point, like who the best defenders are in teams. Like, you know, who to watch on defense. I think that kind of, you know, helps out this. What do you think? Do you think that helped your process a little bit knowing you'd watched all 30 of these teams? Oh yeah, for sure. Because as I mentioned on the last pod um, or whenever we were talking about the Timberwolves, I was considering McDaniels for this team. And like, that's who, who would ever consider a Minnesota Timberwolves defender, right? Like if you're just going off of, blank stats and standings and all that you're never going to consider him but he's a guy that is legitimately like an all defense contender even as a rookie and something I said last week with Memphis too I think there's a handful of guys on this Memphis team that you could make an argument for because Memphis has been really good defensively this year and again they don't have that standout guy that everyone knows like Kawhi or Bam or someone like that they're just collectively really good as a group and they have a bunch of solid defenders. Um, So, you know, watching all the teams has definitely helped that because even on, even like lesser known guys on a team like Washington or Charlotte or whatever, there's always, you know, a handful of guys that 
you're never going to really focus in on because they're kind of just bit pieces in the grand scheme of things. But you see them make a few good plays in a row and all of a sudden it's like, wow, like that guy's actually a really good defender, even though he plays, you know, 15 minutes a game or whatever. So being able to see the league from or being able to watch the entire league pretty equally, I think has definitely helped kind of balance out the playing field for us and and not just focus in on the guys that everyone's going to consider every year. Right. I mean, I did consider a lot of the guys everyone considers every year. You could say my first team is that, but I mean, when you, when we watch the games, we know that those guys are deserving. I'll read through my list of honorable mentions, not all of them because there's, I have a lot, but I'll read through some of my honorable mentions at the end. And it's like, there's, there's some guys, like there's one particular guy in the Eastern Conference. I don't know if you have him on your team or not, but he's a bench player and you could consider him for all defense. I think you can kind of guess who I'm talking about here. I don't know if you, I didn't have him on my team. I don't know if you did, but it's real interesting that to just go around the league and just be like, okay, who stood out on defense on this team? And you know, it's interesting to see like what teams the centers were the best defenders. Like I'll just give one. I didn't have right. Clint Capella. He's really the, the shining light in this sea of hawk shit on defense. And obviously Reddish was hurt. So that changes that equation for Atlanta, but and DeAndre Hunter only played 30 some games, but like Capella was really good. And then let me just give it like, you know, a power hour favorite OG. OG probably would have made my all defensive team if he played more games. Like he's really, really good on defense. It's just like he didn't play enough games, but that didn't change the fact that OG was probably one of the 10 best defenders this year anyway. <laughs> so it's going to be real um, interesting to start with the defensive teams. So let's just go ahead and get the show on the road. Okay. So I'm assuming there's no way in hell Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons weren't on your first team, right? Yes. <laughs> I figured that was easy. Um, Gobert, my goodness. Gobert is a very flawed postseason defender. I've come around on this. However, in the regular season, if you want to win 45 games, Dylan, I can't think of anyone better to be in the middle than Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I mean, he's just a vacuum down there, man. Like, it's it's amazing. Like, I was looking at the stats earlier. And it's like, you know, I, I try to pick Gobert apart as much as I can because I think the postseason just really ruins him for me. Like, that's as simple as that. But this is a regular season list, so it's hard to, to deny that – I mean, Utah has the best defense in the league, and it, they have good defenders. Like, I really like Royce O'Neal. Obviously, Conley is really good, and everyone else, for the most part, is pretty solid. But we all know what that defense rests on, and it's Gobert. And, I mean, he's – the thing about those shot blockers is, is not only – are they shot blockers, but they also scare guys from just going anywhere close to the rim at all. So having a guy like that, you're naturally going to force tougher shots because you see a guard go to the rim and go bears ready to block him. You know, he's going to kick it out to the perimeter or find someone else that's further from the rim. And obviously the farther away from the rim you get, the less likely you're going to make the shot. So having someone like Gobert in the middle, it just makes everything tougher on offense. And that is something that's incredibly valuable, no matter what else is going on around you. Even if you have a bunch of worthless defenders around you, you know, you're forcing them to make, to make tougher shots and shoot tougher shots. And that alone is just incredibly valuable. Yeah. And that's, you know, an excellent, that's an excellent way to put it. Like there was one game, right? 
I don't know if you watched this game, and this game is a while ago, so I, I won't get mad at you for not remembering. It was during our first Hawks week, and they played the Jazz. And the Jazz blew out the Hawks, right? This was when the Jazz were on their like really good run to start the year. And just I remember watching the Hawks, and this is when Radish and Hunter were healthy and Bogey and Gallo weren't. But the Hawks were just so scared to get in the paint at any point in time. Like, they were settling for bad floaters. They were settling, you know, Trey was doing the Steve Nash thing of where he dribbles into the paint and then can't get anything off, so he dribbles out. Like, and that's what you get from Gobert against, you know, the 25 other teams that aren't the teams that'll play him off the floor in the playoffs. The problem is you are going to have to play the other four teams at some point in the playoffs, and he's going to play you off the floor. I mean, Rudy, to me, is like, fringe top 20 i don't even know if i'd have like he's really tough because he guarantees you success in the regular season but then in the playoffs you know he just can't get it done again like you said regular season award this is not an award for you know oh hey this guy switched out onto steph curry in the playoffs and stopped him right like he's not going to get that award i you can make a case that he's not like in terms of just defensive skills he's just (sighs) It's so tough to gauge because how do you just gauge that fear factor? This is like, this is like what people were saying about Dwight Howard in his prime, right? And I know based on the timeline of when you said you started watching basketball and when I started watching basketball, that was like the tail end of Dwight's prime. But people were talking about Dwight in his prime, like he was fucking terrifying in the paint. Like he was just going to send your shit to the third row. And I think we're getting that same thing with Rudy. And I, I considered O'Neal and Mitchell for my all the, or not Mitchell and uh, Conley for my all defensive teams. Conley actually was on my all defense second team at one point. I took him off, but he was on my team at one point. And I think that, you know, him just lifting that group of guys, I think that's so valuable on defense. Yeah. And, you know, as far as the individual skills point, I think that is true. And that's why the playoffs, you start to see the impact tail off, but he's got one very important skill locked up <laughs> and, and that's why they're one of the best defenses in the league every year. And, you know, I will say this, he, he gets torched by Jokic, but it's not because he's defending him poorly. I don't think, I think it's just the Jokic has figured him out. And, you know, what, what can Rudy really do at that point? I mean, I, I think he defends him well. Like Jokic is just a lunatic as far as shot making. I mean, we talked about this uh, last year on the pod. Like, he just makes the dumbest shots. Like, he'll, he'll like, use his shoulders in a way I've never seen a, a big man use them. And he has a fadeaway, which a lot of big men don't have just because they're so big. And he's just such a unique scorer. And, you know, I haven't watched him guard and beat enough because they're playing in different conferences and they just don't play enough. Um, but I would imagine it's just pure – dominance from Embiid that he's just so strong down low. I mean, that dude, I don't think anyone could guard him. I really don't. I, I think to guard him, you have to do a team effort. So I've I've given Rudy crap about that in the past too, that he hasn't been able to stop Embiid, but it, it, who can? And I think when you look at those two guys individually, because they're by far the best offensive centers in the league, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to fault a defender for not being able to stop him because who is, you know, like PJ Tucker got cooked by LeBron in the playoffs a bunch. Does that mean he's a bad defender? No, it means that LeBron is unstoppable. <laughs> so Gobert is good enough to stop most guys in the league. And he's good enough to deter a bunch of ball handlers away from the rim. 
but yeah, he's not going to stop those top guys. And again, most guys aren't. So it's, it's something that I'm kind of backing off from criticism wise, because again, it's just, it's so tough and you know, it is what it is. But again, as, as far as regular season and just constructing a team around him to defend, I, I just think that he is incredibly valuable down low and probably, I don't know if I'd say he's the most valuable defender in the league, but I mean, he's always up for defensive player of the year. So he's definitely in the running. Yeah. He's probably been, I mean, the most important defensive player of the last five years, I would probably say just like in terms of regular season success, I would say the last five years, the most important defender has been uh, probably Draymond, (laughs) Draymond or Kawhi. And even Kawhi wasn't good for three of those five years. So it's one of those guys. But um, in the interest of time <laughs> and in the interest of the, today, we're recording this on Sunday, by the way. We should have said that. And the, it's a, fi- a wild final day of the season. Um, let's talk about Simmons real quick. So I think it's safe to say I would have Simmons as my defensive player of the year. I don't know which one you would have between Rudy and Simmons, but I think Simmons was absolutely incredible this year. Um, what did you what do you like about Simmons's defense? Well, okay, here, here's a stat, one of the few stats that I think you can use to help separate defenders. Um, and there's another sixer that was in consider- consideration for my list that also had these stats. But if you were in the 80th percentile for steal percentage and block percentage, you're a great defender. It's pretty hard to deny. If you look across the league, the guys that have it, like I don't know, I don't know off the top of my head how many it is, but it's got to be less than 20, and it's probably less than 10. I mean, of guys that are playing, you know, good minutes every night and a bunch of, and a few of them have made this list too. Like it's, it's something that's really impressive because, you know, the guys that are getting blocks at that high of a rate, like Gobert or whatever, they just don't have the the body to be able to, and the hands to be able to get their hands on a bunch of steals as well. And, you know, Simmons is a guy that has, he's that perfect mixture of being big enough to block anyone in the league and also having great hands and being able to read passes to the point where he can get so many steals. And I mean, that dude is just a havoc. Like I love watching Philadelphia because him and Thibault are like kind of, I always consider them like defensive backs. They're just always waiting for the, for a a pass to be made. They're picking it off and running it to the end zone. I mean, it's the, the really good defenders, perimeter defenders are like that. They're really good at reading passes and jumping them. And when you make a, a pickoff on the perimeter, it's pretty much an easy layup or dunk on the other end. And that turning defense to offense is a huge part of the game. And, and the teams that are able to, you know, the teams that can get the easiest points often have the most success. So, Simmons' ability to to lock a perimeter down or even hold a guy up down low. Because, again, he's got a big body. He can defend guys down low, too. And, yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought too much about Defensive Player of the Year because we're not, we're not making that um, podcast. But I, I probably would say it's down to those two. And, you know, Simmons I'm, – I'm big on games. And Simmons has missed 14 games or 13 or what it's going to be. Um, so – Maybe that has an impact, but when he's on the court, I mean, he has turned Philly into an absolute behemoth on defense. It feels like the defense doesn't work with him on the floor. And I'll just say it, okay? Joel did not make my second team on defense, and this is why. 
it just feels like they give up so many points when Simmons isn't out there. And it feels like the defense is so much worse when Ben Simmons isn't out there. And I don't know how to explain this because Joel is one of the best rim protectors in the league. I don't think that's up for debate, but man, it just feels like the defense is worse when Simmons isn't out there. Maybe that's just, you know, the result of you not having your, you know, Earl Thomas out there, right? Like maybe, you know, go uh, LOB comparisons here. Maybe Tybal is Cam Chancellor and Simmons is Earl Thomas. I actually think that's a pretty good, that's pretty good for off the dome, Dylan. It was. Like, I think that maybe, you know, not having their quarterback out there, their strong safety or the, yeah, the strong safety will not help. But at the same time, like I just, Simmons's impact is just so undeniable on the defensive end. He can guard there. How many guys can actually say they can guard one through five? Like Giannis gets blown by too much to say he can guard one through five. It might just be hit. It might just be Ben and Bam. It, those that might be the list right there of guys that can actually guard one through five. So I think he's in terms of defensive skill set, he's got the best in the league, I would say, because he could legitimately he could play center. And I would like to see a world where he plays center. I don't think it will ever happen, but I would like to see a world where he plays center. And I think that just his his ability to guard really well in the perimeter and really well in the paint, I think that just it sets him apart from everybody for me. Yeah, I would love to see him at center, too, because there's a bunch of guys in the league at his size that play center. I mean, there's not much differences as far as body than him and Draymond. And Draymond has been playing center for years and doing it well. And, you know, with small ball, it's, it is a little surprising. Obviously, having Embiid makes it a little bit tougher. And, of course, you bring Dwight Howard in, too. But it, it would be fun. I mean, I'm trying to think of a lineup with, like, Milton, Curry, any one of the wing guys, Harris, and then Simmons at center. And I think on both ends of the floor, you're probably going to do pretty damn good as long as the center isn't like Jokic. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I, and, and that's another benefit of having Embiid on your team is you don't have to worry about guarding Embiid, right? If, if you're talking about center matchup, it's like Jokic and everyone else. And everyone else, for the most part, is pretty containable. So it, it would be fun. And honestly, if they have if they have issues in the playoffs because they very well could play Miami at some point, I think right now they would play them in the Eastern Conference Finals, which would be a hell of <laughs> hell of a series at that point uh, in the playoffs. But you know, if they have problems with Simmons kind of getting locked out of ball handling or whatever they usually face in the playoffs. Putting him at center and just seeing what happens would be fascinating. Yeah, I think that that's that's a a key that I don't know if Doc's willing to unlock. Right? We know Doc is pretty conservative, all things considered. And I mean, it would be I would like love to be surprised by Doc this this playoffs. I don't know if we will be, but um, Simmons at center, unexplored weapon. But in the interest of time, let's go. Let's just go ahead. We'll jump around the teams. Let's do our forwards first, since we can name our two forwards. Since we have, or did you have Simmons at forward or guard? That I suppose I should have asked that. I had him at guard. Okay, I figured I had him at guard as well. Who are your two forwards for the first team? Giannis and Draymond. Mm, okay, I had and, Draymond and Jimmy. But go ahead and okay. continue. That that actually was a tough one for me. I considered putting Giannis on the second team for uh, for Butler because. This is it's been an odd year for Milwaukee where this has been like the worst defense they've had in years. And by worse, I mean, it's only 10th and not top three. But it's just kind of odd that 
they have this is by far the most defensive talent they've had, right? You get Drew Holiday and Tucker in there. It's a little surprising that it's fallen off on defense. And again, not to an extraordinary amount, but compared to what they've been in the past, it's a little surprising. But I'm not going to fault Giannis for that. I mean, Giannis is a guy that's just always going to be dominant on, on defense. Like he's he's another guy that can get blocks and steals. It's just he's a he's a seven foot wing basically. So he's playing down low a bunch. He's playing on the perimeter a bunch, and he's causing a bunch of havoc. And I do think he's not been as good as recent years. And maybe I don't want to say he alone has been the issue. I haven't watched Milwaukee enough to probably diagnose that issue. Cause again, I think defense is kind of tough to evaluate. Um, but I went ahead and, and went with Giannis, but I, I do, I do recognize that him and Butler are very close and I don't fault you for that decision at all. Um, but as far as Draymond, I mean, we talked about him a couple weeks ago with the Warriors the Warriors haven't been that good on defense. Like, shockingly, their offense has been what's been holding them up uh, and put them in this position. But, I mean, he has just been tremendous. Or, I'm sorry, it is their defense is holding them up. I flipped that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's been like – I mean, just think about their roster. Like, who, who on that roster is a great defender, you know? There's some guy like Bazemore's fine, Wiggins is fine, his Steph is good for his position. There's no one that's really shocking you with their defense. I think Looney is is good at center, but they played like the first two months of the year with Wiseman, who was awful on defense. So, I mean, Draymond's ability to unlock this team on both ends of the floor has been huge this season. But on defense, he's just incredible. Like he, and he's another guy that can that can make make life for good centers really hard because <laughs> he, he doesn't let you get low if he's guarding you there. And he's obviously going to contest it to the best of his ability. And he's just tough. So, I mean, I, this, you don't need to explain Draymond too much. He's been in this conversation for years, but he, he still got it. I think some people try to act like he wasn't, uh, wasn't who he used to be, but I, I think this season he's proved that he's still up there. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Warriors are fifth in defense, like, that's absurd, Dylan. Like what you like you were saying, they have no discernible elite defensive talent other than Draymond. Like, what he's been able to do, he is the quarterback, right, on defense. Like, we were talking about Simmons, but he, that defense falls apart without him. And I, don't, I should have wrote this down. Their plus minus on cleaning the glass, or his plus minus on cleaning the glass is ridiculous. Because he leaves the floor and he's getting replaced by, you know, Looney. I, you know, we're big proponents of Juan Toscano Anderson on this podcast. We love Wanty, but he is not, you know, anyone's idea of a defensive stopper. Wiggins has taken a huge step on defense this year, but he's still not like, you know, I wouldn't say he's a top tier defender. I wouldn't say, you know, he's in the top 20, like when it comes to perimeter defenders. So how he's been able to patch that defense together is remarkable, and I think Draymond deserves 90% of the defensive credit for how the Warriors have succeeded this year. Giannis, uh, I almost left Giannis off my team entirely. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to leave him off because, like, I didn't feel like the Bucks defense was good enough to reward to. I eventually ended up putting him back on, but I almost had a selection. I, I almost went with, I'm not going to lie, I almost went with Lou Dort over um, Giannis. <laughs> like, 
Giannis's defense can't be denied to me. Like he's bit like he's elite on that end, obviously. And maybe I should have had him on my first team. Maybe I should have considered him rather than had him as the fourth forward. But I, I don't know. Like it just feels like his defense hasn't been where like he deserved defensive player of the year last year. I think we could agree with that probably. But this year, I just didn't feel like his defense was the same. Yeah, I again, and I'm going to spend the next week just plowing into footage because, and of course, kind of have a busy week ahead, but I'm going to make time because we got the playoffs coming up, baby, and that's what you do. But I want to focus on Milwaukee a lot um, because they, I just think they're such a fascinating team heading into the playoffs because they have so many good players, but they just, they mess it up every year. (laughs) And I just, I'm interested to see what changes have happened this year and kind of really hone in on things, especially when it comes to defense and see where it went wrong. Um, And again, going wrong for them is only being the 10th best defense. So nothing to sneeze at, but I'm just fascinated to, to look back and, and see, and off the top of my head, I want to say Lopez kind of, going back to normal was a thing because Lopez was like a defensive player of the year candidate really for the past couple of years. I mean, he's been really good on defense for them and everyone talked about the shooting, which was obviously impactful too, but he was great down low on defense. And again, I don't have the actual, that's like that. That's not my official take on it. I really want to go back and dig in on it. But that's that's what I would blame from just what I have seen to this point. Um, but, yeah, I, I do want to watch Giannis a little bit, too, because he's been – I think one of the reasons why he's won back-to-back MVPs is because he's been one of the few guys that's been able to do it all on offense and defense and not really lose steam. And as we've seen with Kawhi the past couple of years, he's kind of backed off on the defensive end just a little bit. He's still great, but he's not – that elite, super, super elite guy like he was because he's just doing so much on offense now and it's just a trade-off. And Giannis has been a guy that's been able to keep it up, but, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing moving forward if he's able to hold that up. Yeah, I, I can't – I don't think I can add anything to that. So let's go ahead and move on to uh, my my other forward, Jimmy. Did you have Jimmy on your second team? Yes. Okay, so cool. We knocked out three of each other's guys. I think Jimmy – is probably the best on-ball defender in terms of forwards and the fact that he mixes the off-ball stuff, you know, getting steals. It always feels like he's one of the, you know, leading steal guys. And just the way he, like, he can just stand at, like, the the elbow and just take away, like, 40% of the court. He did it last year. He's doing it again this year. Obviously, I think, like I said, I think Bam's one of the most talented defensive players, but the what Jimmy can do on defense, I, I just don't think he can be ignored. Yeah, I mean, he is just insane on defense. <laughs> and I was kind of sad that he sat out last night against Milwaukee because that was obviously a huge difference maker in that result of that game. Maybe Spo was doing a little bit of, hey, we're not we're not showing you our hand yet because we may see you next week. But, I mean, he, he's been this guy for so long. And, like, he his grit is his – biggest asset I would say and that grit really shows up on defense where he just he's like one of the few getting your jersey guys and really caused you to sweat you know when you got the ball and it's it's also his ability to kind of direct the other guys and set everyone else up 
um, for success when, when those guys get the ball. So, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy will probably be a top tier defender until the day he dies. Um, and, you know, saying that he'll probably make a lot more of these lists moving forward. Oh yeah. I don't know. Actually, let me pull up his uh, basketball reference page to see how many all defensive teams he's made. What do you think the over under is? So he's been in the league for this. I think it's his 10th season. How many defensive teams do you think he's made? Um, it's gotta be five, four or five. I would say four. You are correct. I would have guessed more. Cause I feel like he's been a top tier defender since, you know, early Chicago days, but I know that usually people give these lists. They usually put people on these lists who uh, are good on offense too. I, I mean, usually those are the guys that stay on the floor most of the time. So I, I can't really blame them, but um, yeah, Jimmy, I th- I could see him making seven or eight all defensive teams. Like he is going to be ridiculous. He's definitely making the all defense team this year. If he doesn't, I'll be absolutely shocked because Miami's defense really rebounded once he got back. And now that he's back there in the top 10. So shout out to Jimmy. Let's go with our last guard on the first team. Who did you have as your other guard on the first team all defense? So this was tough because I think guard in general was kind of tough for me this year outside of Simmons, obviously. Um, I went with Chris Paul Mm. because the numbers don't really show it. And I think that's the thing with Chris Paul this year is really in general, the numbers don't show it. And, you know, we had a little debate a couple weeks ago about whether Chris Paul deserved any sort of MVP buzz because he's not the best guy on his team. But his ability to make everyone else so much better, I think, is something that goes overlooked. And I'm I'm going to take the time to give him the credit because I know a lot of people won't. And I think one stat I, – I needed one stat – to really seal this for me, the Suns were the 17th best defense this last year. This year, they're the sixth best defense. For them to basically make zero roster changes aside from Chris Paul, again, I'm going to give Chris Paul a lot of the credit for that. And yes, internal development alone is a huge piece of that. But I think Chris Paul is one of the few guys in the league that can just legitimately make any team good. I mean, look at OKC this year compared to last year. And OKC has made a lot of other changes too. But the drop-off that OKC had compared to the rise that the Suns have had, I think Chris Paul deserves a vast amount of credit for that. And on defense, I mean, we've talked about this mostly with offense of how fluid they were. But I think on defense, they're really fluid too. And I think Chris Paul's ability to put guys in the right place and, and do his job too has played a huge part in that. So, you know, I just think he belonged on this list and maybe first team was a little bit too much. I don't know, but I felt like he deserved the spot. I didn't have Chris Paul on my team, but I don't hate it. Like I, I know that you and I were on the opposite sides of the Chris Paul debate that we had that I brought up earlier a couple of weeks ago, but I think that I'm not mad at it. I, you, you did forget another key addition. I think, I think Jay Crowder, being on that team defensively is huge too. But I, I, other than that, no real like playing time additions other than those two. And they've managed to have a good defense while playing a lot of Frank Kaminsky minutes. So, you know, I, I don't hate the Chris Paul thing. I'm not mad at it. I considered him to put him on my uh, second team, but I think, you know, the general pace that the Suns make you play at, like I'm, I don't know the pace numbers exactly. I know they're one 
one of the slowest teams in the league pace wise. And that's helped defense. I would say a lot. Um, and then, you know, Chris Paul is still at 35, one of the best point guard defenders in the league. So adding that element, you know, is huge for the Suns. I actually went a different direction for my other guard. I went with Drew Holiday for my other guard. I feel like just watching him just shut down guys. Like he shut down Kyrie during one of the those Nets games. He shut down Trey Young, right? Guards that we consider for all NBA. He's shutting them down. And to me, I think that's been huge for the Bucks. I know that they've taken a huge step back, but I think that, I mean, he's better at Bledsoe's calling card than Bledsoe was. <laughs> and I think that, I don't know. I just feel like Drew, Drew, his defense is just amazing. So that's why I went with Drew at my first guard spot. Did you have him on your second team by chance? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. Um, what, what have you liked from Drew so far? Uh, you know, pretty much everything. I'm just a huge Drew Holiday guy. I mean, I, I still – I mentioned this before, but I think he's a huge X factor going forward for them, especially if they face the the Nets because I just want to see what he can do to Kyrie. I think if he can take Kyrie out the way that he took Lillard out a few years ago, I mean, the Bucks almost have, like, a clear path. I really think if you take Kyrie out, that's huge because Kyrie has been fantastic this year. And he's been the only guy out of those three that's pretty much been healthy throughout the whole year. So he's almost like the most reliable guy you have going forward. And if you can take his ability to make those tough shots out, you know, you can force all your attention on KD and Harden. And again, KD and Harden could eventually still win that battle. They happen to be two of the best five players in the league still when they're healthy. But taking Kyrie out would be huge. And, and I think that Drew is is one of the few guys in the league that could actually do that. Um, and, like, it's tough because we haven't seen him in the playoffs that much. But I just think that run that, that New Orleans had a couple years ago was, like, it, it put Drew into another stratosphere for me as a player because everyone wants to talk about what you can do offensively in the playoffs. But the defensive stuff is just as important, sometimes more important. And because because defense is something you can consistently rely on, you know, offense relies on shot making and sometimes a good shot doesn't fall. That's how it works. But good defense always holds up unless you make mistakes. And Drew Holiday just doesn't make mistakes on defense. And again, I mentioned earlier, if you're in the 80th percentile for blocks and steals, you know, you're a great defender and he's one of those guys. And he has been for literally the past nine years <laughs> so if that doesn't show how good of a defender he is i don't know what does yeah i think that's that's a great way to put it just like the ability to sw- like swallow guys whole basically there's like you are not getting around me because i'm not going to let you and i would say he's one of the best uh guys in the league at getting over screens and just not getting screened in general and i think that's huge and that could help them in other matchups like you know the heat and just letting them single cover uh, Duncan Robinson, unless they like actually just hold Drew a la J.R. Smith. I think J.R. Smith, has anyone got, ever gotten away with more illegal screens in a single series than J.R. Smith in those Cavs Warriors series? Like, I know we always talk about, you know, Andrew Bogut, Kevin Garnett, um, Tristan Thompson even. I feel like J.R. just literally just hugged Clay Thompson or whoever was guarding, or Andre Iguodala, and just made... Steph switch on to LeBron. 
Yeah. I mean, JR, he got a lot away with a lot on and off the court. Um, but a legal screening was definitely a big piece in that. Um, I mean, that, that, those series in general were just a disaster for officiate for officials. I think, I mean, there was a, they could have called a foul probably every possession, but, uh, luckily for the sake of us, they didn't, but yeah, <laughs> Jr. had a huge, uh, role in that as well as Bogut. Is there ever a more ignored call just in general than a legal screen? Like, I feel like no, like in the heat of the moment, they never call legal screens. I mean, it is kind of dumb. Like, I I always think about screening as like blocking in football. And I don't think blocking someone should be a crime. You know, like, I don't know. I could see it being a problem to some extent, but a little shuffle of the feet, which is all they do so they can get away with it. It's not that big of a deal to me. I have this Warriors Grizzlies game on and I just watched Jonas Valanciunas set a screen We're, while we were talking, set a screen while basically shuffling his feet towards Jaws guy. So yeah, they just basically let him get away with whatever. And I mean, that's why I think that screening is one of the most important skills in NBA. This is not a podcast about screening though. Second team. I think we're go ahead. We're going to go ahead and move on to our second team. So let's go, let's go in a little bit of an interesting order. Okay. Who was your second team center? Okay. So I will say, because I already know who you picked, and I will say he's on my team too, but I I fudged the positions to fit him. Okay. Uh, I, I put Capella. Mm. And the Hawks' defense in general wasn't great, but like the like Golden State, except I guess they had different results, outside of Capella, especially with all the injuries, not a ton of defensive talent. Like, as you mentioned, Reddish missed a bunch of time. Uh, Hunter missed a bunch of time. And when you take those two guys out of it, it's like Solomon Hill, who's fine. Tony Snell, fine. But they're not changing the world on defense for you. And having Trey Young in general is just a huge setback on defense. Everyone has to be a better defender because you have Trey Young. Um, so, you know, I, I think Capella has been amazing this year on both sides of the ball. And he's probably not going to make my all NBA team because center is just one position. Sadly, unlike the other positions, it's hard to fit everyone in, but he's in contention. I mean, he's been one of the five best centers this year by far. I think, I don't think it's even a discussion. Um, and on defense, he's just been swallowing guys up. Like it's, it's like what we saw in Houston, except he's better now, I think. So to me, it was, and I know you, you didn't, uh, you passed him up. And again, I know why, but I still got I still got the guy on the team, so I don't care. Um, but yeah, I, I think Capella deserves the spot for sure. So you know my arbitrary cutoff of 48 games. So okay. I, I don't know if I already said it, but I have Bam as my second team center. Yes. I, I think that what Dylan was implying, he knew I had Bam. I actually wasn't gonna have Bam though. Mm. If he had played 48 games. I was going to have miles. Yeah. Like, I think that he was just so good when he actually played this year on defense. Like he, to me, was a standout. It's a shame that he didn't play all 48. And again, this is another case of guy who's better in the regular season versus the playoffs. Cause he has his flaws. Cause he's not strong enough, but I thought that he 
And I mean, maybe you could have put him at forward because he did play more forward than center this year, but he didn't, again, he didn't play enough games to qualify for me at either spot. I would have had miles there just because of how like three and whatever blocks a game is just absurdly ridiculous. Like just flat out ridiculous. He was Dylan. I mean, at points you could say miles was the only good defender on the Pacers this year. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I think the Pacers are actually going to finish in the top half of the league in defense. And they were so bad at the beginning of the year. And I think they've gotten lucky lately because their schedule's been pretty soft. Like, let's see what their defense has been recently. It's been – oh, I guess it's been bad recently. Um, but I think I do think Miles was a huge factor in them having a passable defense because, I mean, taking T.J. Warren out and, like, playing McDermott more and Lamb more and Holiday playing up in size – like it put a lot of pressure on those guys and they just couldn't hold up. Um, again, Warren last year was so good for them and not having him on defense has been a big piece missing. And Turner was just, he was plugging all the holes up, man. Like the boat was sinking and he was there throwing the water out. He was putting duct tape over the holes. Like he was doing all he could. And yeah, I, I didn't have him on my team either. It was so close. Your cutoff was 48. Again, I like to have more, like maybe 52 or around that. Um, But it it was tough to leave him off because, again, even if he just played like one more week, he would have made the list. But sadly, the the game cutoff is tough. But, yeah, he he was so good on defense this year. and, And this was a guy that's been good on defense his whole career. And he took that big of a jump where it was like noticeable for the entire league that he was playing that well. I mean, 3.4 blocks per game, even for him, was just a lot. So it's tough to leave him off. But, yeah, I I think next year, if he plays at that level again, he'll definitely be on this list. It felt like when you were watching Pacers games, you couldn't get any shots up 10 feet and in. Like, that's just how it felt because he was so all-encompassing in the paint. And it's it's bogus because – it's not bogus because I made the games cut off, right? It's my fault he's not on the defensive team. But – I, Capella to me, that's a great choice as well. Like he is literally the only thing keeping Atlanta's defense afloat. And let me check Atlanta's defense. They are 21st on cleaning the glass, but I mean, if Capella wasn't on the team, what would the, what would the defense be? So I, I think that's your case right there, right? Because Trey's awful. We love bogey, but he's at best above average on defense. Um, and Reddish and Hunter, your two best wing defenders have been hurt. Basically Hunter's been hurt half the year and Reddish has missed. I don't even remember the last time Cam Reddish played like, and it's sad because Reddish is one of the most entertaining defenders in the league. He might, he would have had a good case to be all defense at guard. If he played a really good case, but he, he didn't. So Capella holding that defense up and making, helping them be a contending team. I think that makes the difference. I, I understand why you've had him, but Bam, I think Bam's just ridiculous. <laughs> like he's so good on defense. And you said you had him as a forward. So that, that makes sense. Um, just what he's capable of doing on defense. Like he's capable of doing practically everything on defense. I don't think there's anyone who's more versatile on defense other than Simmons in the whole league. Like I think that he's that good on defense. Why did you have him at forward? Um, so I put him at four cause I wanted him on the team. It's as simple as that. Um, I don't really care whether you would consider him a forward or not. Okay. He belonged on the team over the other guys I was considering. 
and I don't live by the position standards. That's not that was not my choice for them to set those standards. So fuck him is my take on that. Um, but as far as why he's on the team, I think him and obviously him and Butler are both incredibly good defenders, and that's why they're both on the list. And that's why Miami is the eighth best defense in the league. But let's just think about this, okay? I'm not going to say the rest of Miami's defenders are bad because, I, like I mentioned last week, I think Ariza has been good since he's gotten there. Iguodala, not the same, but still good enough. But those guys are constantly sharing the floor with, like, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, you know, a bunch of guys that are good on offense, but defensively, you know, passable at best. And in some cases, way worse than passable. <laughs> so those guys' ability to, to keep the ship afloat as well, and not only afloat, but thriving and sailing off into the sunset. I mean, Bam, as you mentioned, incredibly versatile. One of the few guys in the league that I think actually could have a shot at defending, you know, Embiid and Jokic pretty consistently. Um, probably won't succeed, but he'll give him hell, at least, in trying. So I, I just think he's tremendous um, as a player is in general. And obviously, since he's come into the league, his offense has gotten a lot better, but he came into the league as a defender, really. Um, so he's just continued to build on that and, and translate those skills and his ability to have a defensive impact this early in his career to this level has been pretty amazing because what is he's in his third or fourth year at this point. So he's still very young as a, as a center. And again, like we're just seeing DeAndre Aiden turn the corner defensively. And this is his third year, I believe. So it takes time for you to become this good of a defender. And he's been this guy for years really already. So it's, he's another guy that's probably going to have six plus all in all defense uh, nominations in his career. Yeah, that's, that's actually what I was about to ask you. So let's just say, Bam, let's just assume perfect health for him through his career, which is obviously, you know, not a good assumption, right? Just based on the law of averages. How many all-defensive teams, like, would you bet he makes? I He made all-defense last year. How many, like, for his career, how many do you think he'll make? I would guess, like, more than eight. You know, I would like to say that, but something kind of shook me earlier when I saw that Ben Wallace, I think, only had six. Um, Cause he got nominated for the hall of fame. And I'm just thinking like, this is a 10 guy list, right? It's, right? it's really tough to constantly be in that. Even if you're one of the best defenders in the league, you're not guaranteed because it's a small list and you just need 10 guys to be better than you that season to make it right. So I don't think eight is out of the question at all, because again, after this year, he'll probably already be a quarter of the way there. But I would probably hedge my bets and go with like six. But I definitely could see him surpassing that. I mean, it's like this is the thing. And Ben Wallace had the unfortunate circumstance of first playing in the league when, you know, I'm pretty sure his rookie year was when Dikembe was winning defensive players of the year. <laughs> so he had that notoriety. And then, you know, you have you're dealing in a league with, you know, Duncan, Garnett, um, and a bunch of other guys too. So I, I think the forward slash center depth during Wallace's time there kind of skewed those numbers, but I, I just don't feel like there's that kind of same defensive competition at his spot. That's young, right? Like he's 23 well, for now. For now. That's like a good the, point. Thing, thing, the thing with the league and luckily for him, Zion as a defender has not been what we thought he would be. So that's not a problem yet, at least, but 
I mean, there's constantly young talent coming into the league. So, like, one or two years could change that, you know? Um, if for those that are going to be watching this on YouTube, I apologize. I just watched Steph hit one of the nastiest threes I've ever seen <laughs> from him. And that's saying something coming from Steph, but he just threw the legs just in the guy's face, made a 12-point game. Golden State is uh, going – he has 44 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. Um, they are going to be the 8th seed. They're currently winning by 12. You're making you made a good point though that just so much like defense is a young man's game too, but at the same time, I think his skills will age well and he'll be you know eventually when he's you know he can be the Draymond kind of guy, right? Where Draymond isn't, I don't think Draymond's anyone's idea of an athletic freak, so I think that he could play that role and I think he'll age really well in the game. Like, I think that that's just something we'll have to see. Um, so let's just go ahead and move on though. So you already talked about your forwards. So we'll go ahead and move on to my last forward. I had Mikhail Bridges as a forward. Was Mikhail Bridges on your team as a guard? I did not have Mikhail Bridges. I think Mikhail Bridges has been Phoenix's best defensive player. I think that, you know, he's obviously he has his flaws, right? But what he can do game in and game out and just like his, you know, his smarts, his wherewithal for the game, his, I mean, you, I'm no, you're no stranger to Mikhail Bridges. You're, you're probably the president of the Mikhail Bridges fan club, but do you fault me for having Mikhail Bridges basically over Clint Capella? Uh, no, I considered him as well, obviously as um, my favorite player of all time. He was in consideration. Uh, I, I just, I wasn't sure if, if two sons really deserved it. And I just felt like, Chris Paul deserved more of the credit, but obviously Mikhail Bridges, his, his value hinges on his perimeter defense. I think the, the upside comes from what he can become on offense, but what we already know he is, is an all world type of defender, especially on the perimeter. Um, And yeah, I mean, he's been great. Like he's definitely in consideration, but the way my list kind of just worked out, I, I left him off. That's fair. Like, I just feel like his defense to me, like you were saying, it's his most valuable asset because he's, you know, he's not like a, you know, superstar on offense, but on defense, I would say he's pretty close to it. Like I would say he's probably the best role player in the league right now. I don't think that's really like maybe Draymond, but I don't know what you would count Draymond as (laughs) Draymond's in kind of a league of his own, but just like in terms of like regular ass role players, Mikhail is just at the top tier for me because he can, you know, do so much on defense. He can, his wingspan is ridiculous. So theoretically he could be Draymond, right? Like theoretically he could do that role. I don't think he's been asked to, but he, the way he hounds guards on the perimeter, it makes life easier for Devin Booker. So Devin doesn't have to do as much on offense. I think that's so big for their team. So big. And then the complimentary role he plays on offense, I mean, obviously it doesn't have anything to do with this award, but I think Mikhail Bridges is like, you can make argument. Mikhail Bridges is the third best player on that team. I don't know if I'd argue it right now, but you can make an argument for it. Third most important, I think, would be an easier argument than third best. Fair. Um, I mean, it's tough. Like, obviously, Aiden's in consideration. Um, apparently, there. Were, I heard some stat the other day. I don't even remember what it was that, like, when campaign like passes some low threshold of stats, they're like incredibly like way better than when he's doesn't do that. Uh, I, I, 
I mean, I'm not going to say Cam Johnson's better than Mikhail Bridges ever, but he there's there's a bunch of guys in that running, I would say. But most important, I could definitely see because, I mean, obviously on defense, what he can do, but on offense too, like he's pretty much a lock for hitting open threes, you know, especially in the corners. And that's when you have two great ball handlers like they have, having that guy is incredibly important. But yeah, moving forward, especially that dude is, he's going to be in contention for this, for one of these two teams for ever, probably. I mean, Dylan, tell me you're not excited. You know, let's just say things break perfectly and the Suns play the Warriors in the first round. Tell me you wouldn't be excited to watch seven games of McHale versus, or maybe six games of McHale versus Steph Curry. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm, I think I could figure out who would win that battle probably, but it would be fun to watch either way. I mean, Steph wouldn't go down without a fight. I mean, let's, or Mikhail wouldn't go down without a fight. Excuse me. Steph is up to 44 points on nine of 22 from three. I think that might be Steph's career high in three, three point attempts, which is bananas, but um, it's okay. Let's go ahead and move on to the guards. Who were your two guards for your second team all defense? Well, so we already mentioned both of them. Drew and Butler were my mm. two. Okay. Wait. So, okay. Who was your other forward then? I don't think, I thought you had Jimmy as a forward. That's my bad. So this was tough. I flipped on this specific one a lot. I ended up going with Kawhi, um, who, again, hasn't been the same. But really, I wanted to give a, one of the two Clippers guys, him or Paul George. I just thought their defense has been good, really good this year, even all with all the injuries. Um, so I just felt like one of those two guys deserved it. And I was going to give it to Paul George, actually, because I thought he played way more games than Kawhi. But he actually only played two more games, and Kawhi has been better. So I gave it to Kawhi. Wow. So I I don't blame you there. I considered both of the Clippers guys as well. Eventually, I just went against it because, you know, I liked my team. <laughs> <laughs> but Kawhi's not a bad choice at all. I don't think his defense – we can both agree his defense is in San Antonio level. But yeah. I think people overblow how much he's fallen off since then. Like, he's still really good, and if he wants to, he'll just shut you down, absolutely. I really – here's a question for you, Dylan. Why did the – why didn't the Spurs or the Clippers not last year just try Jokic or try Leonard guarding Jokic? I feel like that would have worked, at least better than what they were trying. It would have been interesting. I mean, Montrez, like, having a, a six seven center try to guard him, it's like, why not just throw Kawhi, you know? It – it was odd. Um, the thing about Jokic, I mean, I still think Jokic would have won because, again, if Jokic can do that on on Gobert, who's way tougher to get shots off on, I don't think he would have had a problem doing it against anyone the Clippers throw at him. But Montrez was going to be a disaster no matter what. Kawhi would have at least maybe gotten a steal or two off him. So, yeah, I, I don't understand that either. Like, it would have made – I think it would have made – um, Jokic's life a lot harder because Kawhi's strong. Like he's like a bull. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just don't understand why they didn't. Um, I don't know. Like why they didn't try that more. But I, I think that Kawhi is a great choice just because you're right. They're both really good on defense. I maybe should have had Paul George as a guard on the second team. Maybe, maybe I'm starting to regret that. But it's too late now. We're too far into it that I'm not going to change my teams. So okay. We'll go with your last guard and then my uh, 
my two guards. So who's your last guard for the second team all defense? It was it was Drew and Butler. Oh, that's right. So we, we already discussed your team. So okay, my last two guys. I still we didn't mention either of my guys. So first pick you could argue is a homer pick. I had Fred Van Vliet as one oh. of my guards. And then the other guard, I had DeJounte. I know the Spurs defense hasn't been great, but DeJounte Murray's just the pest out there. And same with Fred. I know the Raptors defense has been really nothing to cry home about. But Fred Van Vliet has really taken over Kyle Lowry's role as a shit stirrer on defense. <laughs> and that's why I think Fred was probably the Raptors' best player this year. So, I mean, do you have any objections to either of my two guards? You know, I didn't consider either of them. Either of them and I probably should have considered Van Vliet because I did realize that he took a massive jump on defense this year. I just think Toronto was like – it was just such a down year for them. I was like, whatever. I just kind of overlooked it. Um, so I, for that one, for sure. And then obviously M- Murray is just good all the time. And it was kind of funny because we started this year kind of thinking he may be the odd man out there, but I think this year he's been their best guard, like by far. I mean, obviously Derek white had a bunch of injuries and everyone else kind of was just like, eh, but I think Murray has been really good this year. Um, and of that entire team, he's one of the one of the handful of guys I really thought had a great year, despite them, you know, barely hanging on to their playoff spot. But, yeah, I, I think those are both solid picks. So one last point, I think we can close the podcast on this. You were talking about the baseline of Bridges, you know, and what the offense adds. I think Murray's baseline, you know, as a defender is very high, right? And then whatever he gives you on offense really is just an added bonus. Like, I mean, I know the three-pointer is not there and that'll probably prevent him from reaching like the top 10 point guards list. But I mean, the Spurs still have a bright future. And if DeJounte is making 16 million a year or something like that, I think they're in a great spot, Dylan. Like just based on like his defensive capabilities alone, you put like a solid rim protecting center there and like maybe a couple, like an actual wing defender there. That's not DeMar DeRozan. Like, I think they could actually be good. Like, hell, they could bounce back, like, in a year or two. Yeah, I don't think they're far either. Um, as much as I love DeMar, I just think they personally need to move on from him just to kind of figure everything else out. Because um, he's, like, he's one of those guys that's really good at keeping you in contention, but not good enough to put you over the top. And when you're in the – like, that works if you're in the East, and I would be shocked if he didn't get a big offer from one of these – middling East teams for that reason, but the West, you got to have two guys. It's just how it is. You got to have two really good guys. Um, or, well, I guess golden state has one really, really good guy. And then a bunch, a couple of decent guys, but for the most part, you need two really good guys. And, you know, you could count DeMar as a really good guy, but they just, everything, it's just a mess. It's, <laughs> they're just stuck between the past and the future right now. And, if you surround Murray with like some shooters and then like you mentioned, I don't think Pirtle is the starting center of the future. Just personally, I I think he's a really good bench guy, but he hasn't been that good as a starter in my opinion. Um, just, just fix a few of those holes and they definitely could be back in it. And, you know, we'll see what they get in the draft this year. Again, a great year to have a, even just a late lottery pick, but I, I think they're, I don't think they're that far away, maybe one or two years from 
being kind of a consistent playoff team again. But yeah, I, I do think Murray has earned his spot there and, and we'll just see what they do with everyone else. Yeah. Yaka Pertle to me, I, you nail it right on the head. He's not a starting center. I thought maybe, you know, they should have been starting him because you will remember at the beginning of the year, the lineups with Pertle instead of Aldridge were just so much better, but then they didn't get better once Aldridge left. <laughs> <laughs> so like that was kind of a red flag right there. The Spurs, I think are low key interesting team because I'm I'll have to check I'm checking the uh cleaning the glass page right now but I think they could have like 50 million in cap space next summer like I think they it's okay right now they have 58 million in salary on the books they have DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay's cap hold and Patty Mills's cap holder combined for like 80 million dollars between the three of them it's a little more but I'm not doing the exact math so you could legitimately, I think if you want to do a sign and trade with Demar, I think that's an avenue they could explore. If you want to do like, you know, Rudy Gay and Patty probably aren't giving you anything in a sign and trade because you could just sign Patty Mills. He'll take like a mid-level exception or something. I, I would actually bet money that Patty stays in San Antonio, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, Dylan, I think we've touched on everything we needed to touch on. Or anything else before I uh, just run through some of my honorable mentions? Um, I'll let you go first. I have some honorable mentions too, but you can go first. Okay, so obviously, Tybal is probably the biggest snub on either of our lists. Like that is tough. I just I can't give it to a guy playing twenty minutes a game, Dylan. I can't. <laughs> That's my only hang up with him. But he's been. Like, he is going to be on this team next year if he plays more than half them. If he plays 24 minutes a game, I will put him on the team. I'll say that. Um, some other guys. Obviously, I brought up O'Neal and Conley and the uh, the Clippers guys. Dylan Brooks, I think, probably deserves some consideration. Kyle Anderson as well. Um, Tatum, a little bit. He hasn't been as good. Obviously, I brought up OG. TJ McConnell, mm. I think, has been really good. Again, doesn't qualify with the minutes thing I... I had, but you know, I, I had him on there. Um, any other guys I had, I thought Thad was pretty good on defense this year. And then obviously Dort and then Jay Sean Tate, Jay Sean Tate's been really good on defense. Obviously, you know, we brought up, we gave him some love last week on the, uh, all rookies, but I thought that, um, again, Houston and OKC's defense are just too bad. <laughs> and I know that's not Dort's fault, but I thought that was, um, that was basically my team. No, no New Orleans or no Charlotte players. Shocking. <laughs> I I didn't consider no any Sacramento of them. guys. I thought Sacramento had a had a couple guys that could have made it. I mean, yeah, they, they their defense wasn't the it wasn't the worst by a far margin. You know, hey, well, yeah, that's just because Portland was just as bad as they were. Um, <laughs> I I you know I considered De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. You know, um, listen, we have to consider the revolving. We have to consider the revolving doors too here. You know, we can't just consider all the guys that are good on defense, right? Um, oh, another guy I wanted to mention, Robert Covington. He was so good on defense this year, and the Blazers' defense was just so bad. It's not his fault. <laughs> this is the one – who would have thought of all the defensive teams that he couldn't save, it was the fucking Blazers, right? <laughs> he made the Wolves good on defense when he was in Minnesota, but he can't do with the Timberwolves. So any other guys that I didn't mention that you needed to mention? Um, so I had the same reasoning for Thibault. I really wanted it. I really wanted it, but it's like his game log is like 19 minutes, 20 minutes, 16 minutes. It's like, no, sorry. Like you're an insane difference maker, but give me just a little bit more time. 
Uh, like I mentioned, Paul George was in consideration for me. Jaden McDaniels, again, thought he was uh, probably the one or two good defenders on Minnesota this year. Uh, Kyle Anderson, again. And I probably should have thrown Dylan Brooks in there as well. Because actually, at halftime of the Grizz and Warriors game, they had a stat that Steph was one of seven when guarded by Dylan Brooks and five of seven when guarded by everyone else. Um, and I would be interested to see what those stats are after the game now. But uh, either way, he at least held them up for a half. And then I threw both Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart on there. Uh, Marcus Smart was very close to missing the time cutoff. I think he actually got to 48 games perfectly. So, you know, he was at least in contention. And obviously this year was a tough year for Boston. 12th best defense in the league, not not what they usually do. A ton of injuries. Um, having Kemba on the floor is never a good thing. And they got rid of Tice. So, you know, a lot of reasoning why their defense hasn't been as good. But just as individual defenders, those guys are both going to be in contention for this list for a long time. So I, I threw both of them in consideration as well. Yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> I should have had smart on my honorable mentions. That's dumb of me. Um, one more guy I wanted to mention before we go. Well, two guys. First is Mitchell Robinson. And then second is the guy who took came in. Mitchell Robinson only played 31 games. So I, I wanted to give Nerlens Noel some love too, because he's really held the ship down. This is, I think Nerlens could, I don't know when he's a free agent again. I'll uh, look him up real quick on reference, but he is playing phenomenally this year. Like he's at two blocks a game. Um, I wouldn't have had him over Capella Turner and Bam personally, but I think that, you know, he's been good. He's on a one year, $5 million contract. And if you're the Knicks, why wouldn't you bring him back for like the mid level? You know, I think he's earned that. Like, I think I'd rather have Nerlens that the way they've played this year, I'd rather have Nerlens than I probably would have, you know, Tristan Thompson as much as I've, you know, as much as we manifested Tristan Thompson to the, if you're the Wizards, why not, you know, try to drop a bag and get Nerlens Noel, right? I think he's been really good on for the Knicks. And can we just talk about the Lakers for one second? Like the Lakers defense is so weird because they, their defense is amazing. But I, I did not consider any of the guys for the all defensive team. Like KCP solid. Caruso is solid. Like Caruso is the guy I considered. None of the guys on that team are elite, yet they're still in the top four in defense. I think Frank Vogel, not getting enough talk as the coach of the year, frankly. Yeah, and again, like, they're in a very competitive Western Conference, and they, depending on what happens tonight, they could end up locking in the sixth seed. So despite having, you know, two of the best players in the league missing pretty much half the season, their defense has been tremendous, and – as we talked about pre-pod, it's not like Marcus Gasol's been out there all year. You know, that that's the one guy where it's like, oh, I could see them having a good defense because Gasol's out there. But basically, as soon as Drummond came in, Gasol has just been out. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really get it either. I, I just think it's a combination of really good or really decent to good defenders out there. No one great, but sometimes just having a collection of good defenders – and I think the Knicks are kind of the same deal. Like, obviously, Noel is really good, but they're like a top five defense, too. And I don't think they have any incredibly standout, you know, awesome defenders on that team. Um, again, outside of Noel, that would really make 
consideration for this list. So, and guess who's coaching that team? Tibbs, you know? So sometimes uh, a good, a really good defensive coach with just a good group of defenders, not great. Sometimes that's enough. Revenge of the uh, top early 2010s Eastern Conference coaches. That's what I'll say. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I think now's the time for the shameless plugs. Um, okay. So I watched Parasite last night, Dylan. Yes. And you know what the first thing I did was? First thing I did was finish the Parasite pod with you and Zach Griffith. So, you know, that was a great podcast. I'm, I'm glad I finally got to listen to it. And Parasite, let's just, let's just take a minute here. What a fucking movie. <laughs> I was excited to hear that you actually hadn't watched it because I thought you were going to watch it again is what I thought was happening. But you actually just watched it. So I, yeah, I mean, it's like anytime I talk about Parasite, I don't know where to start. You know, it's just one of those kind of movies. So it was, I loved uh, talking with Zach about it. And I'm glad that you uh, were able to finally watch it. Yes. Um, spoiler alert. Fast forward about, I don't know, two minutes. If you don't want to listen to this, if you're still listening. Um, just the whole last 30 minutes when, when Mr. Kim gets fed up <laughs> with everything, right? Just, and just all the tension it built up. I thought it was just marvelously. And plus the music too, just every element about it was just perfect to me, Dylan Hughes. Yeah. And something I talked about on the pod was it took me three times to really collect all the foreshadowing clues but and and I'm sure after listening to it, you probably didn't even realize some of that stuff because again, it took me three times to catch some of these things. But man, it the foreshadowing, and I'm a huge foreshadowing guy. Um, I I thought it was really well done in that, and it pieced the story together so well. So I mean, it was just tremendous directing, tremendous acting, just a absolutely wonderful movie and i'm really happy it got as much uh praise as it did and i i'm glad you and zach were able to do a podcast about it it was phenomenal i think you know the favorite movie series that zach does is just he really takes the time to watch these people's favorite movie and analyze it get down in the weeds with them so shout out to zach um let's get divine rhyme Divine Rhyme, I thought was really good last week. You guys did uh, Oxymoron and the Blank Face LP. This week, you got uh, Crash Talk. And how, how are we feeling about Schoolboy Q Month, Dylan? How, just in general, how are we feeling about Schoolboy Q Month? It's almost, oh, it's almost over. Yeah, a short month. It'll end up just being three weeks. Um, but it's been fun, man. And I'm happy that Will has, because Will is more of a mainstream rap slash hip hop type of guy. So, the schoolboy cues of the world kind of get overlooked. Um, so I'm happy that we've been able to sit down and do this. And, you know, after listening to crash talk, I completely forgot that the first handful of songs just are not that memorable, but I think the back half of the album is so good that it, it just, it's really worth discussing, even if it's just like six songs, but it's, it's, a. Uh, it's been fun and I'm looking forward to wrapping it up and moving on to uh, J. Cole once again. <laughs> I know you're going to save your big thoughts for the, uh, the, for the big divine rhyme show, but what, what did you like? Just like initial thoughts of the off season, give it exclusively for the power hour listeners. So the first listen, I was a little bit underwhelmed. 
I was, I was like, yeah, man, I don't know. It's, it's fine. Like Jake Cole sets a high bar. So for him to clear that bar, like, you know, he's, he's going to clear it every time, but how far above it does he go? And at first I was like, it's good. It's fine. The second list, I'm like, okay, it's better than I thought. I'm still not a huge fan of the beats being like pretty much solely like computer beats. I just, I like the Mac Millers and Jay Coles of the world that put instruments into their music more. And this was the one time where Jay Cole kind of got away from that, but I thought he made the best of it. And uh, I think I've listened to it three times now and I'm definitely a fan of it, but as far as where it ranks, I don't know. It's probably not at the top or close to it right now, at least. Well, that's okay. Not all of them can be the best album of Dylan Hughes, but I mean, as long as he met expectations and you liked it, that's that's really all that, that matters at the end, right? Like, all the friends we made along the way has become a meme, but <laughs> I, I think it's true. So, um, that's going to be looking forward to just for the, the rest of this month for Divine Rhyme, and then we'll come out um, at the end, I think, and you guys will have a new artist for June, so that'll be exciting. Um, Lid Sanity, they're going to be talking about the uh, plan because obviously the rest of this playoffs will be set um, tomorrow. No pod with JD this week. They'll start the pods with JD the week after, after this one. So be on the lookout for those next week. And then um, I think Caleb and I, I think we're going to draft the playoff series that we're going to do. I think that'll be the best way to go about this. We'll probably go live on YouTube at the running hook or not at just um, the running hook on YouTube. Make sure you uh, make sure you follow there, you know, maybe subscribe, turn on the notifications for when we go live. But we'll, well, Caleb and I will draft those and that'll be fun. So I think the playoff series will be set basically by, uh, by Friday. So we'll go, we'll do that then. And then on the power hour this week. So obviously we did all defense. This is going to be coming out on Monday. And then Dylan and I are going to be doing the all NBA teams on Wednesday. Um, Dylan, where is Poku on your all NBA team? Um, he's probably like 10th team is where I'm thinking right now. How dare you? I, he's my first team. He's all five of my first team spots. Oh, I, I mean, how dare you? You know, Interesting. I, I'm, I'm frankly insulted and perturbed that you don't agree with me on this. No, if, if, we can just, if we can duplicate guys, then I'm just giving Steph all 15 spots. I'll give Jokic one. Jokic won 14 for Steph. I mean, come on. Poku is a special case. You know, he, no one he, can do what Poku does. He can have all five of my 10th team spots. That's fine. <sighs> um, I tried. Um, but be on the lookout for the All-NBA team on Wednesday. I think that one's going to be – last time Dylan and I did the All-NBA team, it was wild. And this time it will be even wilder because Kevin Durant and LeBron don't qualify for my uh, – and James and Harden, Harden don't qualify don't qualify for my, uh, my thresholds. And they, yeah. if they don't qualify for mine, they certainly don't qualify for Dylan's. So make sure you check out that one. Um, triple option pass. They'll be back sometime in the uh, future. Um, road to F nine fast five. I think Bryce and JD is happening next week. We'll, we'll see on that one. Um, obviously parasite. I brought that up. I just wanted to make sure Dylan heard my positive affirmations about that. Um, Battleground should be back next week. So that'll be fun. Dylan Hughes will be on there eventually. I don't know when exactly, but he'll be on there eventually. Um, Non-running hook plugs. How could I forget? I usually do this one first. From one young soul to another. All right, listen. If you don't buy this book, I'm going to go to your favorite restaurant. I'm going to bring 100 people with me. I'm going to learn. I'm going to install spy technology in your house. 
find out when you want to go to your favorite restaurant and I'll bring a van of a hundred people with me, make sure all the seats in the restaurant are filled. That I mean, Dylan, that's, that's worth at least $7.50, right? To, to not have your favorite restaurant be full when you want to go. I can't think of a better trade-off than that. Actually. Exactly. It's just $7.50, man. Like, come on now. It's ridiculous, but $5 on Kindle. I mean, come on now. Like, I'm not asking you for to do a lot here. I'm Dylan. I'm not asking them to do a lot. It's really the bare minimum. So I, I can't believe that these people aren't listening. Bare minimum. It's, it's like I'm, I'm asking you to to do the bare minimum here, and you're still not doing it. It's it's absolutely pathetic, honestly. Um, facts and stats with JD Hall. I believe the episode with you is out, Dylan Hughes. So. It is. A really big week for Dylan here on the network and network adjacent shows. And then I've added this to the plug doc. Den of Dorks with DJ Deke. I believe it's on Spotify. Make sure you check that out. Um, he's a great friend of this network. So make sure you check that out. Dylan Hughes, um, no words of wisdom for you. I'm not going to ask you because, you, you, uh, you know, it's a lot of pressure asking you for words of wisdom. But um, Dylan Hughes, thank you so much once again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.